Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, this morning, well, uh, since it's the start of a new quarter, I figured we'd just do some review today, so I didn't send notes out. Any of you were wondering why? Thank you. Uh, cover, cover some of the basic overview of the class, uh, resources and stuff like that. So let's get started in a word of prayer, and we'll begin. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the, the joy of children. And thank you for everyone here this morning. Help us to come together as a community, and to be like our name says, community, and to be all about the Bible, to be a church together that serves Jesus Christ passionately, that is for the truth, and Lord, help us to become more full of grace as Jesus Christ came and manifested grace to all of us. Help us, Lord, to serve you together. Help us to love one another, to forgive each other of sin, and to help encourage and exhort one another to be more holy and to be perfect, Father, as you are perfect. Help our time together now, Lord, as we look into your word and seek to honor and glorify you with our study. Amen. Amen. So, Romans... We're in mid-chapter 11 right now, talking about Israel, and I actually have something I want to read about Israel today, and then we'll get into going back to maybe Romans 1, and just kind of doing a read and review, kind of a quick overview. CBC's mission, kind of new, but at the last uh, membership meeting, we talked about how our mission is essentially to know Christ and make Him known. And so... Two facets is what we're doing in here is hopefully, prayerfully, by God's grace, we're knowing Christ better, right? By study, looking into the Word, verse by verse, word by word, learning what God tells us about Jesus and Himself and about us as, as mankind. And then, out of our knowing Christ better together, we're going to strive to make Him known as a people to ourselves. We need to proclaim Christ to ourselves constantly, right? The truth to ourselves so that we have a deeper abiding faith in what the truth is. And to others, whether that's your spouse, your children, your family, your co-workers. You need to make Christ known. People need to know. Jesus said you are the salt and the light. We are here to reflect Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And so two things, we know Christ better, and we seek to make him known better. And so that comes into here. Our class is going to be recorded um, to, to help me, but also to facilitate knowing Christ and making him known. This is a resource that can be used to, by you guys or sharing with other people what Community Bible Church teaches. Okay? So on YouTube, if you look up my name, Jacob Stinchfield or Romans, you'll see a playlist 
uh, the letter to the Romans. You'll be able, if you miss a class or you want to remember something or you want to be like, hey, Jake, I don't know if you said this right over here, which I don't all the time. <clears throat> Please forgive me ahead of time. I accept your forgiveness now. <laughs> also, Lewis Hofer created a podcast underneath the app CastBox that has uh, these YouTube things on audio file. And the nice thing about this is you can download it onto your uh, iPod or whatever device you have that can project sound. And you can take it with you. I, I think a lot of people that work out in the field or drive truck, this might be something that could help you. And also he has done this for Chance's sermons. So you can review Chance's sermons underneath this cast box, <coughs> box app as well. Right, Lewis? Yep. Community Bible Church, Pastor Chance, uh, sermons. Yep, it's got our logo on there, so you should be able to you know if it's ours or not. There's two of them. So they both, Jacob's had the same logo, and so does Community Bible Church, but they're two separate deals. Yeah, so I think mine is titled The One True God. You can look up my name, and then you can also look at Community Bible Church, Pastor Chance, under CastBox. So those are audio files that you can listen to live if you have streaming internet, or you can download it and then take it with you on the road. Uh, class emails. I will have notes and theological thoughts. Normally are four to six pages long. Uh, my email is jacob.stinchfield at gmail.com. If you want to contact me, you can contact me that way. Um, and if you want to be a part of the email list, let me know. If you want to keep receiving email, if you don't want to receive emails anymore, just send me an email. Don't worry, I won't hate you or anything like that. Or if you're going to go to another class. My phone and cell number 605-295-8582. Some of you have my wife's uh, cell phone number, so if we're having events and stuff like that, you can also get a hold of her, ask her questions about things. Right? Sorry, called you out. Okay, also, CBC website has the sermons, chance for sermons on them as well. So if you're not familiar with CBC website, go there, familiarize yourself with the website and take advantage of these sermons. It's a helpful thing. It's a good thing to try to watch sermons or have them on in the background as a family. Elizabeth and I try to do that. It doesn't work all the time. So, mm -hmm. Do you have to have a password to get into the CBC website? Only no, on cert certain... Oh, there's okay. an open public site and the sermons and most of the stuff. If you are a member and there's access to the directory or certain things going on, you can get a hold of Jen Odekoven about that. If you... so. Okay. So, get out your Bibles. Open up to Romans 1, please. Another thing, just to review, the, I, I'm using helps to teach this class. Uh, this book, Encountering Biblical Studies series, has books of the Bible, scholars in the evangelical tradition, which we are a part of and chance comes from. Uh, Douglas J. Moo is a renowned scholar on Romans. This is his introduction, which is an overview of Romans and snapshots and weaving together the whole letter. So this is what uh, my sisters learned from at Moody Bible Institute and my brother. He also has a deeper commentary, which is the size of like three Bibles. What's it like called? three of these, it's like really thick. Can you hold it up again? You can hit people, no with it. 
Encountering the Book of Romans, the big thing is Douglas J. Moo. That's a good author, Douglas Moo. Okay? And if you, if you want to ask me about books to read or study, come let me know. The one I use also is John MacArthur's uh, New Testament commentary series. Uh, this is the second volume, Romans 9 through 16. First volumes 1 through 8. So this is, this is an, a theological overview, and it synthesizes with the rest of the Bible, so you're not getting too far out thinking something that Romans might say that is incongruent with the Bible. This is a theological help, so you're not getting off on what words might mean. Okay, It's just an overview, and it helps show how the letter is a whole. So that's really good that way. There's also details in there and how things work together. This kind of reads as like a, a theological overview, pastoral commentary, but it's also expositional, and MacArthur gives lots of applications as a pastor to your life and how these truths ought to change your thinking and your living. So this is a good, and it, it reads smoothly. This is a, a good smooth read. This is a little more of a, a study. This is too, but it's a smoother read. So you have... Douglas Moo is also thicker, more exegetical commentary. And exegetical is where you're getting into the words and the grammar and stuff like that. Very scholastic, if you will. That has a, a, a wonderful place and that helps inform our theology and our doctrine as we build as a, a church. Another commentary I used for a little while, Chance took the book back from me, is uh, Thomas Schreiner's book, he gave it to me for Romans 9, and I actually really like it. I actually just ordered a few of Schreiner's books. But Thomas Schreiner is a professor at Southern Seminary right now. He's taught all over the world at uh, various seminaries. I'm listening to a biblical theology lecture by him right now that he did. It's free online at uh, the Master's Seminary website. It's a good class. If you want to understand the Bible as a whole in 31 hours, listen to this. Listen to him weave the whole picture together and show the overview of the Old Testament and New Testament. So it's wonderful free resources. And if you want, I'm also listening to Dr. Nathan Busenitz at the Master's Seminary on Church History 1 and 2. That'll be around 60 hours altogether. But there is wonderful free resources and even stuff like that to help our study, okay? If you like listening more, I suggest the Master Seminary website. You can learn Greek and Hebrew there. They have some free online classes. Of it's really difficult, but because <laughs> it's like second stage Greek, you want the first stage first. But so there's there's really good resources out there from pastors and teachers. Okay, if you want to know more about that, talk to Chance, talk to Jesse, talk to the elders, talk to myself. If you want good books or you want uh, a direction on good authors and stuff like that. Romans 1. Okay, so how does Paul introduce the letter? Somebody can read the first verse. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul, right in the beginning, tells who he is and what he's about. Who is he a servant of in this translation? Who is he a servant of? Jesus Christ. Okay, and so the word group, so we have an intro about Paul, 
And in that intro, as it goes on, we learn that Christ is the center of the gospel. And I think it goes three, four, and five. The person of Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. But Paul is a slave of Christ and essentially a slave of Christ's message, which is the gospel. Paul right away introduces doulos, which means slave. And there was a slave market in which he purchased doulos or douloi, slaves. Paul considered himself to be owned completely by Jesus and that he was purchased by Jesus Christ. That's the language he uses. And I think that's, that's theologically important for us, that we should identify with Paul in that same sense. We should understand that Jesus Christ has purchased us from the slave market of sin and has enslaved us, as we will learn in Romans 6, to righteousness and the kingdom of God and to God himself. Jesus has purchased us and transferred us to the kingdom of light. And we are slave, his slaves now. So, uh, Caleb, would you keep reading? How far? Verse 7. Okay. <clears throat> I'll just start it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and are call, and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these first seven verses, we see that Paul introduces that he's a slave of Christ and essentially of Christ's message. We're to understand in verse 2 that this message and this Christ, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This was always God's plan. It was always pronounced ahead of time. So there, there's nothing new here. We, this should have always been expected. He mm -hmm. promised this beforehand through his prophets in the Scriptures. And this was, verse 3, concerning his son who was born a descendant of David, which is in accordance with the scriptures. And, as we learn here, actually according to the flesh. Jesus took on real human flesh, and he was born in the fleshly line of David. Verse 4, Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God, and when I open this, in his power by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus received a, a glorified body post-resurrection. And he was in his full power at this time. There's a lot there. We won't go into it now. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Master, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. So Paul, the other apostles, and maybe he's referring to Timothy and Silas here, who are with him right now as he's writing this letter before he goes back to Jerusalem in 56 AD. We are those who've received grace and apostleship. Paul's a recipient of grace. He's a sinner. He's a sinner who needed undeserved, unmerited favor shown to him by God. Same as everybody else. And the grace in which God gave him, he also made him an apostle 
essentially a prophet who would proclaim the words of God to the people who would believe. God made Paul what he was and what he is. God gave him grace and God gave him authority to do something, his apostleship. This apostleship and this grace was for a purpose, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. And so it's all for God's glory. It's for his name. That's why God gave me grace and gave me apostleship, was for Gentiles to have faith in him and so that his name would be glorified. Verse 6, among whom you also, you Romans also, are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a God who brings you grace and peace. And then Paul goes on to thank them. He's thankful for their faith. He thanks God for them. So the introduction we find things about the gospel, about Christ, about Paul. We find that Paul loves these people. Paul has a pastoral love for these people whom he hasn't met, but he's rejoicing and thanking God for their faith. He cares for them. He prays for them. We should do the same. We should care about one another's faith and care about other Christians' faith throughout the world and be praying and loving people, even if you've been wronged by them. And then in verse 14, Paul says this, I am under obligation. I have a duty. I have an obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. That is to say, the educated and the uneducated, both meaning to the wise and to the foolish. So the gospel is for everyone, all social castes. It's for the elite and the educated, and it's for those the elite and educated think are foolish or dumb and are not. It's for everyone. And then, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we also learn that the, the gospel goes out to different races. The gospel does not favor races, different ethnic groups. The gospel goes to the Jews first, and it's also now for the Greeks and the Gentiles and whoever. The Gospels for all. All kinds of people from all walks of life, high social status or very low. And the Gospel is power. Is it not? The Gospel is the power unto salvation. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's not the gospel, it's not the power of God for salvation to everyone who's ever lived for all time. It's to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the message of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's manifested to us. This righteousness of God, which is from faith to faith, just as it is written, Paul quotes the Old Testament here, the righteous man by faith shall live. The just man by faith shall live. How shall a man live? How shall a man be justified before God? And this is the mess, great message of Romans, is salvation. It's by faith. 
as we've learned these other words, Paul introduced grace, grace, grace and peace to you from God through faith. Starts with grace, and then faith comes to those who believe. But the gospel has bad news. Verse 18. Sounds good, right? Just man shall live by faith. Real easy message, right? All I got to do is believe. Easy believe, right? No. Not so easy. The gospel has a difficult message, which Paul opens up right here. So there's a little foretaste of it's really easy and it's really good. And for those who believe, it's right, right on. But verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is their own unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that all human beings are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse for not worshiping God. All are guilty. And this is what God's um, says about mankind in the beginning of the gospel. That you have suppressed me, God, with all of your disobedience and all your ungodliness, all of your sin, all of your unrighteous ways, you are striving to suppress me, the one true, holy, and righteous God. And you've, you've lived your life your own way. And I'm telling you that's totally wrong, and my wrath is against you. For the wrath of God is revealed, it's manifested. God is saying we are at enmity, and this language is used further on in Romans. Romans 2 and Romans 5. And mankind is without excuse. Verse 24 says this. This is what God says about man. Therefore, because of man's unrighteousness and because of his ignoring God and wanting to live life his own way, God says this. Therefore, God, I gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. And this is the passage about homosexuality amongst women and men. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. All unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossipers. How many of you struggle with gossiping? talking about somebody else in such a way that somebody else would think less of that person if they met them. I'm guilty. It is so hard not to gossip or slander. And the New Testament writers constantly warn us against it. It's, such, it's so easy. And there's nothing that will destroy a church like gossip. People who are focused on slandering each other behind each other's backs rather than keeping secrets and forgiving people from the heart, even if they've offended you. So we have all kinds of sin here, even sin that some people say, oh, it's not so bad. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, 
So here's things that you're not as good at as you should be, too. You don't have understanding, and you should have greater understanding of God. You're an untrustworthy person. You should be more trustworthy. You're unloving. You're not as loving as you should be. Anybody love here perfectly like Jesus Christ? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Nope. Unmerciful. Is anybody here as full of compassion, mercy, and grace as God? And we fail to do it rightly. There's a time for it and a time not for it in the Bible. We don't have his understanding like him. Those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. So God reveals his holy character and how much we as human beings, as mankind, have failed to be like him. If you read through that section, you should be able to find a number of sins of which you are guilty. Some of them you are not, but some of them you are guilty. And God's wrath was against you, and you were an enemy of God because of your sins, and that you were not like him and like his character. And there's, there is a consequence and punishment for sin, and that's what God is revealing here, that my wrath is against you and your sin, and there's judgment that must come to you. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you, mankind, have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment on somebody else, for their sins that you don't like in that list. See, it's easy to like my own sins or think that I'm not that bad guy, and it's easy for me to pass judgment on the homosexual. I don't struggle with lying, but I really don't like liars. But I'm a cheater, which is a form of lying too, actually. I've been disobedient to parents, but I don't think that's big of a deal because I don't like my parents, and they're not worthy of obedience. Everybody's guilty there. Guarantee it. I got my kids right here. They don't always love me. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm not perfect, but the command remains the same, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. They're not worthy for you to submit to them or for, the, for you to call them sir or lord, a respectful title in their home or in public. They're not worthy. But women, neither are you worthy of being loved, protected, or cherished. But they're commanded by God to love you, to serve you, and protect you no matter what. You failed them, they failed you. You're still commanded to do what's right by God toward your spouse or toward the other person. Jacob, I think that what you're saying right now is so key in our witness. The, the couple successful times, and I'm not saying these people these people I've talked with have converted, but in talking to homosexuals is saying, look, this whole list, that's I'm the one dead. sin I can honestly say that I'm not guilty. Why? And the rest of them, I'm guilty. You know, rather than pointing out and, and, and yanking out that one thing that's so prevalent in our culture today and, and pointing a finger. And what you're saying is, is so important in the witness. Is we're not coming from them from a platform of you homosexual. 
or do this, or I'm using homosexual because it's such a loud voice today in our culture, but it really, the couple times I've had success in, in where you can see a heart soften a little bit is when, is when I've said I struggle with every other one on that list, <laughs> you know, practically without reading them off, but it's what you're saying rather than pointing a finger at what theirs is. If you want to be a consistent Christian, and this is the key term, consistent, then you must hate all sin in the Bible. And you must hold on to none. You must refute and reject all sin. Otherwise, you're an inconsistent Christian. You're inconsistent. Thank you, Lisa. So, chapter 2, judging others. We know, and it's true, we should know, verse 2, we should know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things, all the sins in the, in the list. And the, it's not an exhaustive list. Just enough for you to see that you're in there. Judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on, on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And so right there, if you think that you haven't failed, Paul is trying to say, you're not looking hard enough. Trust me, you failed. And you ought not to judge others harshly. Verse 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Talking about God. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. And right there is this warring language. God's kindness and his tolerance and patience. God has been kind to all mankind. He has shown massive amounts of grace. I send rain on the just and the unjust. I'm kind to the wicked and the good, Jesus says the Gospels. That's God. That's His kindness. And His tolerance and His patience talk about, especially this tolerance is, instead of, I'm tolerating your sin temporarily, and that goes like this. Warring parties would have a truce for a temporary amount of time so that war, so maybe, just like during World War II, I think it was, or maybe it was World War I, there was a peace night wasn't there a night that they didn't shell each other and it was for Christmas? Okay, that's a truce for a time. But the war is still there. It still exists in the background. We're going to stop warring. We agree to stop fighting each other for a moment. But this is what that tolerance word means. It means that there is a, a temporary tolerance that God is tolerating your sin. And this is a part of his kindness, I believe, and his patience. As that he does not give you the justice you deserve immediately. When Adam and Eve sinned, were they destroyed? Were they utterly destroyed? No. Is that what they should have gotten? Yes. If God wanted to be fully exhaust his wrath, he would have destroyed them right there. He disciplined them and punished them and kicked them out of the garden, but he also shows grace and kindness. I'm going to come. I'm going to save mankind through the seed of the woman the promise of the Messiah to come. 
I'm going to kill two animals right now, which is representative of sacrifice, and cover you with these animal skins. Do you see God's kindness? We see discipline and punishment, but we also see kindness and grace, the promise of salvation, the covering of your sins, and that I don't destroy you right now. This is part of what that means here in this section. That God tolerates and he's patient with sin for a long time. Human beings are in sin for many moments of their life. Through many years, many weeks. Many sins are repeated often. The kindness of God leads you to repentance, but it doesn't. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, that heart that has been turned over to degrading passions and a depraved mind continues in that way. Despite all of God's kindness and all of his tolerance and all of his patience, you don't see any of that when you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But it's true. It's happening to people all the time. Right now, there are people in peer right now that deserve to be destroyed. And people in this room who are believing are amongst them, actually. We, all, we as Christians deserve to be destroyed as well. We're learning about our sin here again. We're reviewing it. But people out there in town right now are totally unaware of God's grace and his kindness and that it's God who's providing them with rains and happiness and merriment of heart in their life. They're ignoring God still. Because they have a stubborn and unrepentant heart still. And because of this, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. And so once again, there is wrath and indignation for God that's coming. And that's a part of the gospel. You must never forget that. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Just as the gospel goes to the Jew first, I believe condemnation comes to the Jew first because they've had the most given to them from God in Revelation for a long historical time. And also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is also the Jew who is to be rewarded first rather than the Gentiles. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned while living under the law of the Jews will be judged by the law. It's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified before God. Has anyone in here been able to do the law? Jew or Gentile? It's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, the doers of the law. There is a requirement to get into heaven, you have to do the law perfectly. You have to be just like God and be holy and perfect. <coughs> Verse 14, for the, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. So they don't have the external written law to help them. But they still have the law of God written on their hearts not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts by God. Their conscience is bearing witness, and their thoughts are alternating before God. It's Their conscience is either accusing them, or it's defending them. Have you done right, or have you done wrong? And your conscience is constantly supposed to be showing you 
I've failed, I'm doing right now, but then I fail, and then I do some good. So you have a conscience that's alternating between defending you or accusing you when you do right or wrong. Verse 16, on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. And so when Christ Jesus returns, and all men are going to come before his throne and give an account of themselves, Christians included, we'll talk about that separate. But everybody who has been unbelieving and rejected the gospel is going to stand before Christ, and he's going to reveal and use their conscience to accuse them and defend them. And, and when it defends them, that's going to be used, I believe, to show them. You knew what was right here, and you knew, but then you failed. And of that, you're accused. Hmm. I defend you when you did right, and I can use that defense that you knew what was right to also show you what you've done wrong. Morality. If you bear the name Jew, verse 17, and rely upon the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge of God and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not also teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? So Paul here is showing Jews, take a closer look at your own life. Have you actually broken the law? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do not commit adultery. And remember what Jesus said that actually meant. It didn't just mean if you actually slept with another man or woman, even if you thought about it in your mind, you're guilty. You're guilty. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Are you a greedy person? And you covet mammon and money, and money is your God, and gold is your God. You say you hate idols, and I believe this is addressing the Pharisees, of which Paul was one. The Pharisees loved money and prestige and all the honorable seats. And they were guilty of serving gold over God, and they actually were guilty of the greatest commandment. Something else was sitting on the throne of their heart instead of God himself. This is the first commandment. And the second one. They worshiped, they served money, and that was their God. That was their idol. You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, speaking to Jews here, just as it is written. The Jews fail too. We all we all have sin. We're not to look down our noses at Jews, and Jews should not look down their noses at us. We all have depraved, sinful hearts, and that's what these chapters are showing. Turn with me to chapter 3, and we'll conclude. This is, what God, this is how Paul summarizes the bad news first of the good news. So bad news first. This will make people want the good news all the much more if you really labor hard on showing them how sinful they are and how guilty they are of God before God. Don't be afraid to get excited and stir people up too. Because sometimes that needs to happen. What could be more serious, right? Than somebody's life is technically, I want you to see this spiritually, somebody's life is dangling over the fires of hell and judgment to come. God's wrath, his indignation. Is that serious? Should we take it seriously? 
So this message, which is supposed to bring people to Jesus Christ, should penetrate hearts and minds, and we should do it with some tenacity. Jesus came on the scene and said, Repent and believe. What? Repent? I have to change my mind? I'm thinking totally wrong? My heart and my life is totally wrong and against God? Yes, you need to repent. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your doing in your life and love what God says. 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Christians, Jew or Gentile, any better than they who slander us? Not at all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So Paul just summarizes here. Everybody's under sin. Don't think worse of them who slander you as Christians, whether you're Jew or Gentile, or even Christians or Jews who are slandering each other and still gossiping about each other. Are you any better than one of them? Technically, no. Inherently within yourself, no. By God's grace and other things, hopefully you're avoiding those sins. Just as it is written in verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands God. And verse 11, part 2, there is none who seek for God, Jew or Gentile. The spiritual reality is that Paul says is that nobody understands, nobody is righteous or good, and nobody truly seeks for God for who he truly is. Now that's something you need to really, that truth right there. There is none who seeks for God. You really need to strive in your Christian thinking to understand what the implications of that are. That there are none who seek for God on their own. Lord, thank you for this time. Pray that you'd build everyone up in Christ and that you'd make us more like you. Help us to strive together for peace and unity and to obey your commands and that we would be perfect as you are. Help us to purify ourselves just as you are pure. That we long to be clothed with immortality, and to be with you one day. Amen. 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 <laughs> nope. A lot in that. Yes. I'm just glad they got all their projects done. <laughs> I didn't think they were going to catch up.